Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Vicky Chan, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, Mark. Uh, thank you for you. Might be taking me back. Yes, it's great to have you back, Vicky. Uh, Vicky Chan uh, founded Avoid Obvious Architects in 2012 with offices in New York and Hong Kong. The firm has been pursuing sustainable building and sustainable cities with a focus on combining art and green technologies. And his uh, projects have won 48 international awards and has been exhib exhibited in 37 cities. Uh, Vicky's projects include master planning for the World Trade Center in New York, uh, Shuang Wan Fiesta in Hong Kong, and various city designs in Canada and China and India. Uh, Vicky founded a volunteering organization and has taught over 6,000 children about sustainable design and architecture. Uh, and he believes our future will be brighter if children are more equipped with uh, creative and sustainable thinking. We talked about Vicky. Uh, talked, <laughs> we didn't talk about Vicky. We talked about uh, architecture for children with Vicky back in episode 169. So a while back, uh, but we went deep about uh, that project and how it was working back then. It's still going. It's still growing. Uh, so you can listen to that episode 169 and, and learn all about that. Uh, Vicky served as the AIA Hong Kong chapter uh, as president in 2020, and he's the chairman of Walk DVRC, an NGO in, uh, to promote walkability. Uh, so 
this is a man who is doing a lot out there in the world of architecture from many, many different angles, many different perspectives, uh, having an impact in many, many different levels. Uh, Vicky, it's great to have you back on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the great uh, introduction. Let's, uh, let's remind people who you are. Let's go back to your origin story. Uh, let's go mm -hmm. back to where you discovered architecture. What inspired you to become an architect? And then share that story to where we are today, and then we'll give them an update on, on what's going on over there. Yeah, uh, I went to study architecture uh, mostly because uh, when I was in school, uh, I was you know good at uh, art and good at math. Uh, so at the beginning, it, it makes sense for me to try to combine these two uh, uh, subjects that I love uh, as a kid. And then uh, after that, it, it while I was in college, uh, you know many different like uh, internship kind of inspired me to fall in love with the profession. Uh, I understand many people like uh, from my peer that they may actually uh, pursue something actually quite different than architecture. Someone actually went into photography. Some people would uh, uh, do different uh, type of trade related to the building industry. Uh, but and but I, I stay in the course of architecture, and along the way, uh, it, it just found a different passion in terms of like uh, education of architecture, in terms of like. Uh, Using NGO or nonprofit organization to influence like uh, city uh, design or uh, policy on uh, walkability. So you know, many of that kind of like kind of go back to where I was uh, as an architect. I felt like um, the trail of um, our knowledge could really uh, influence more than one type of industry, and and really wanted uh, to. Uh, and, and that's how I still believe today that architects uh, is really uh, the right choice for my career. What kind of work are you doing today? What kind of work does the firm do? We do a lot of uh, landscape work. Uh, for the last three years, uh, we do a lot of like uh, urban farms. Uh, we have built uh, several farms in China. We are doing one right now in Vermont. Uh, and we are doing several like both interior as a landscape project and, and both exterior as a park landscape project. Uh, and uh, many of this uh, work uh, we do is also integrated into architecture. So sometimes within the landscape, there would be uh, like a, a greenhouse uh, for all kinds of like, uh, purposes. Sometimes a greenhouse will have plant inside as a classroom. Sometimes they have greenhouse. They become a religious space where people go and worship like uh, the, the religion that they have. Uh, because plant in many ways are just very natural. So it really kind of tie architecture and uh, um, the whole experience of like well-being, uh, people's uh, interaction and uh, their, their closeness uh, to one another and to nature uh, all into this one holistic uh, experience. So uh, for the last uh, three or four years, uh, uh, all of our master planning in Canada, uh, uh, every time it always included like different type of like uh, of urban farming, different type of landscape that really like uh, try to put architecture together with uh, the, the rest of the contest. What inspired you to to pursue urban farming? I, I mean, where did that idea come from? How did you learn about that and start integrating that into your architecture? Uh, I graduated from New York, uh, from Pratt, uh, and at Pratt Institute, my graduating thesis were actually uh, an urban farm in Saudi Arabia. At the time, it, it was actually, I didn't know the term at the time, it was more like a hydroponic system that we study. It's basically using water as a way to, to grow your, your, your plant. Uh, I guess uh, today, everyone actually uses it to grow marijuana. Uh, but uh, at the time, uh, when I graduated, uh, uh, we studied that technology as a way to uh, make the city more sustainable, especially in a 
region where you don't have a lot of natural water like Saudi Arabia. So uh, at the time, that, that makes a lot of uh, sense to me as a student, but it didn't make a lot of sense at all as an architect because there's so many uh, uh, elements that now looking back, I, I knew I was missing. So uh, throughout the last like uh, um, uh, 12 years of career, I, I continue to kind of look for the solution. Uh, sometimes it could be um, uh, just a small plan that the experiment we do in the office and then we grow bigger and bigger like uh, into like interior design of a restaurant that included like farm to table and then it grow bigger that it, it included like the whole like urban farm and then it, then it continued to grow bigger that like uh, the whole city plan was actually based on the idea of like uh, uh, self-generating, self-sustaining like a uh, food source and water source. So uh, all of that actually uh, is not too far off from everything that people are talking about today that we, we wanted to be self-sustaining, especially after and during, uh, we're still in the middle of a, a pandemic that uh, uh, with all the logistics being so much more difficult, everyone's starting to realize that, hey, we actually need our own source of food. We, we needed our own source of, of like a manufacturer and all kinds of things. So uh, that idea actually, uh, uh, it's going even further and better for us that uh, the Vermont uh, project that we got like uh, a month ago, it uh, is all actually coming from that angle because people are more more willing to work from home. People are more willing to get closer to nature that they, they found this opportunity and this farm to be able to offer that uh, experience for people to uh, rent some viewer in the middle of a farm to, to learn about farming but at the same time it could be a place where people could rent for a couple of months uh, and work from home i mean obviously it's a experience for people who have a bit of a uh, um, financial freedom to be able to set their office in this type of like location for two months uh, but at the same time i think we're still going in the right direction for that specific project in uh, vermont i'm sure you mentioned the pandemic i'm sure in the past year and a half two years um, there's been a lot of new backyard gardening happening, uh, inspiring you know, people sort of realizing that it's it, it's a, a, a great opportunity to be able to grow your own food uh, and take it right from your garden and bring it into your kitchen and cook it up and, and, and sustain yourself. Um, explain how these urban farms work, because I've never seen an urban farm and I don't know exactly how they work. Um, can you mm -hmm. explain sort of how they work functionally? Okay. Uh, I will talk about actually the one that we are building right now in Hong Kong, which I also uh, fundraise. I'll get to the fundraising part uh, uh, later, but I'm going to talk about the technicality of the right. design first. So the, the multiple type of like uh, uh, farming that can grow uh, the type of food that you want. Uh, the one that I'm doing actually combines three type of uh, farming technology. Uh, one is called the hydroponic, which many people use uh, today for indoor marijuana uh, growing. So it's mostly like uh, using LED light and then they grow different species out of water. So in some way it's safe, that, uh, it's safe like soil because you, uh, and then they can stack them in trays, uh, multiple like towers. It's almost like a, a, a factory, high-end factory that uh, is like very controlled environment, control humidity. They can even control exactly when the flower is going to bloom. Uh, uh, everything could be like highly uh, calculated uh, uh, in terms of energy input and the output of the food that they get. So that was the, the kind of high-end type of like uh, farming, uh, which the NASA is also using to generate oxygen when they go to Mars. Uh, there's two other types that we have is the, obviously the organic type that you 
actually have like a soil on the ground and then you you you, you grow something. But even with that, like we also uh, realize that uh, for ADA or, or different type of barrier uh, uh, accessibility uh, issues that, that we have to be able to turn the farm like at a different like, uh, working level. So even with the organic, we have to invent uh, and innovate different ways to, to uh, we have traditional way people can just get done onto the ground, but there are also like tables uh, that are different if you are on a wheelchair that you could still farm on the table. And then uh, the, the last uh, technology, Technology is, has been around for centuries. Uh, it's basically aquaponic. You, you have fish, and then the fish, you know, they generate yeah, poop. Uh, they poop, and, and the poop will be feeding into the uh, uh, the plant, and then uh, it becomes a cycle. And uh, so, so in the last like uh, technology, people could uh, actually consume the fish uh, as well. So with these three technology together, we combine it all into urban farm. So in some way, the, 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 the produce that you get out of the farm is not exactly enough. It won't be ever enough to, to, to feed the whole neighborhood, right? Uh, right. It, it, it's not the, the purpose of it, but the, uh, it feeds like, let's say, uh, uh, a, a tiny percentage, uh, I would say. Because we, uh, the, but the more important thing is also kind of the psychological uh, and the sustainable uh, education. The psychological is actually a great improvement, especially in an urban dense environment. Uh, people are dying to try to get to the green by having more hands-on experience that you could actually touch the greenery. The research and our own research, other people's research across Asia, across Europe, across North America, is that it just improved uh, our mental health like, uh, drastically. Uh, if people are uh, committed to once a week uh, to on on the farm, so 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 that is kind of the second aspect that we we, we can improve is the well being or the psychological well being of it. And uh, the actual food production is also quite interesting. It really depends on on what you eat. Uh, if we are in some really cold uh, area that we import a lot of food, uh, many times in the U.S., in, in the northern part of the U.S., they import food from Florida. Uh, so in, in, in some way, that kind of has quite a bit of like food mile to it. So being able to grow locally, uh, our biggest argument is that uh, we, we deal with like a food mile. Uh, but like I said, uh, our farm is still not big enough to be like a food grade production. But I think uh, we just have to set it in the right direction for people to realize that uh, the food mile that usually consume could be in the future drastically reduced if we just do the city planning a little bit differently. Who who benefits from these farms? Are these are these um, are these public farms or are they private farms? And who and who benefits from the food that's being produced? Uh, we have built two urban farms like uh, near Hong Kong. Uh, one of them, uh, uh, the one that really just open to the community. It's just a public farm. People walk in, they just sign up for a specific day and then they go in and then uh, we had a trained farmer to give them a guided tour on what to do. So uh, just the general public could, could just enjoy so it. it. So uh, is that, that owned by the government? Uh, the or first is one is owned by a, a, a very generous uh, developer who treated this project as a, a sustainable project. Got it. Uh, okay. uh, so... Uh, the second one uh, is owned by a nonprofit organization, the one I'm building in Hong Kong right now, uh, which is the K Farm, uh, which is about to open in a month. So that one is owned, technically, the land is owned by the government, but they lease it uh, to uh, a nonprofit organization and we run it to serve the community at almost close to uh, no charge. 
uh, uh, just like the basic, like uh, there are some tools that require money, but uh, it's just to cover the the, the basic cost of uh, uh, producing uh, all the work to 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 get to where where they need to be. Uh, but uh, basically, anyone in the community just walk in and uh, they could sign up. Yeah, yeah, it sounds it sounds fantastic. How how are these projects funded? Uh, the it, the one that we're doing, uh, K Farm in Hong Kong, uh, that one is actually funded uh, through a fundraising process. Uh, we were very lucky as a team of architects. We work with the farmers. We work with the educator, which also owns the uh, nonprofit uh, institute. So together, from an educator point of view, a farming point of view, and architectural point of view, we form an initiative at the beginning to submit to the government to say that we have this idea and we wanted to build it. Uh, so we got control of the land first, which we got for uh, the first donation. We got the land for only a dollar, basically 2,000 square feet. Uh, they only give it to us for a dollar, so it's free, uh, essentially. And then after that, we continue to pitch to other uh, big corporations. Uh, some of them are charity. And we told them that, hey, we want this land. And then we have this idea and we wanted to do it. And uh, some of the money still come uh, came from the government's donation. Uh, they believe that uh, by giving us the land, they should also give us the facility to build it. The other half came from some charity who believe in our education benefit to the community because we're teaching the sustainable living. So they believe that uh, that will be an impact to the uh, next generation on how they could uh, live uh, in Hong Kong. And uh, uh, lastly, it, it just like commercials, uh, uh, sectors who were interested to donate to sustainable uh, in initiative uh, and so they they put different art i mean it's kind of like uh, the farm is big right there's just many locations for them to put like uh, some mural some art so we we, uh, we created a lot of fundraising package to say that if you make this mural x by y dimension uh, 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 we will require you to commit x amount of money and uh, if they're willing to do it, uh, their name will be like as part of the mural and something like that. So we have done several of that uh, packages and it was successful. And 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 so to get finally, we, we were able to gather like $7 million USD in order to run and operate uh, this farm for the next uh, five years. Uh, the, the money we get is not a lot in American standard, $7 million, uh, I guess, uh, in some neighborhood, you can probably only buy an apartment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, uh, in some other neighborhood, you can probably buy uh, something a bit more. But but as a whole, for a 2,000, uh, 20,000 square feet um, uh, a farm, it's really like uh, uh, just quite generous. Uh, and especially it's all for charity purpose uh, because people who donate to us, do not expect any dollar back, uh, basically. And like an investing in real estate, this is like pure one way. There's nothing that right. they could get back. <laughs> so uh, we we were very lucky that uh, we were able to convince them. Uh, as a young team, uh, we did the fundraising package. We did some uh, uh, video to prove to the investor that this is possible. We also go out and 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 just reach out to the community and talk. So. Many of this step was actually really weird as an architect because we didn't know what to do. Uh, we weren't trained to to talk to investor like like that way. We weren't trained to talk to community uh, uh, directly about uh, giving us money to build something. So, uh, but but throughout the process, we get to kind of experience the whole set uh, uh, in the last uh, three years and. and and that makes us like uh, really really like uh, grow and learn as an architect. It, it 
really also pull me down and, and get me even closer to the grasswood level. Uh, I have to listen to things that I don't like to hear. Uh, uh, that you know, at the beginning, everyone told me that just you know get away from our area. I don't need the farm here. Like just just I need this and that, you know. Uh, but um, but we repair and then explain through it. Uh, we we kind of uh, uh, try our best not to fight, but listen and then uh, uh, incorporate uh, all this idea that people uh, uh, dislike about us and our about uh, our design. And then uh, when we uh, we opened uh, in multiple phases, the first phase actually opened two months ago. When I open, everyone's like, "Wow, I love it!" <laughs> and I almost wanted to tell them and say, "Hey, I told you so." <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, quite interesting as a a way to 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 kind of sometimes uh, say and prove to all this like knows uh, sayer that uh, hey, uh, especially I'm not doing it for profit project. Like sometimes nonprofit project, just just let me uh, and let us do it. Uh, you, if we have the right uh, mood and right design for it, I, I I think they just have to kind of let go and and, and check it out uh, when we, when we are done. And uh, they have been doing it, and we're just very happy and grateful that uh, uh, we almost received like a hundred percent positive like feedback compared to at the beginning. Uh, every, uh, I would say like fifty percent of the people hated us. Fifty uh, percent of the people uh, kind of like uh, uh, support us. So we we improved the appro- uh, approval rating like drastically. Yeah, yeah. You need to get uh, testimonials from those people for the next project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. Let's talk ArcViz technology. Powered by the near limitless Unreal Engine, our friends at Twinmotion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real-time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, the time of day, just by moving a slider. Immersing your clients in a way that they'll love and more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. Why not share your design with stakeholders in collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? There's no better way to get buy-in than making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial. Check it out at twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. That's twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect to get Twinmotion for free. BIM can be important for your next project but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM and go to rcat.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email, it's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers 
up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you could spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section and get more time back to build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBook. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So um, I talk to a lot of architects who have ideas for nonprofits. They, they, it's, it's very common in, in architecture that they want to give back, right? They want to use their skills to benefit society uh, and many of them try it and it doesn't work or they just can't figure out how to make it work. Do you have any advice for those architects who want to leverage their skills as architects uh, as a nonprofit? Is there any uh, supplemental income that you're that you have that allows you to pursue this passion? Or is there some way that you're you're um, earning enough money through the nonprofit that it allows you to sustain yourself financially? Do you have any suggestions mm -hmm. to architects who wow. want to uh, pursue that? Very, yeah. Wow, that's a tough question because uh, it uh, I, I can break it down into actually basically two level from a yeah. personal level and then also a firm level. I mean, right. although we uh, personally, although my my business side, although it has grown quite a bit uh, uh, since the uh, last time I talked to you, uh, but personally, I still live a very like uh, simple life. Uh, I, I, I uh, last time I met you, I, I just had my newborn uh, son. Uh, but together with my wife and my son, uh, we we still live a very, very like affordable life. Uh, uh, nothing too fancy. So uh, so on that way, like um, uh, many people at my uh, career right now, uh, they do own quite a bit of like uh, uh, stuff. Uh, I, I don't uh, so. But I invested most of my earning uh, back into my business to to be able to do all this like, nonprofit work that I, I dream of. So uh, there are some sacrifices on the personal side that you know, by my age right now I should be able to achieve a bit more financially, <laughs> but uh, but I'm not yet uh, there. Uh, but on the business side, uh, there are some other uh, way that we we continue to uh, make up income for the nonprofit work where we do. Uh, first of all, like not every single nonprofit idea we had uh, was successful. Uh, I think in 2020 alone, uh, we probably sent out 20 different uh, nonprofit idea out to the government. Uh, out of the 20 of them, um, probably only one of them were successful at the end, but all 20 of them required our time. So uh, we just learned that the first tips is that we just learned to work, work, work so fast and efficiently because because all this nonprofit idea, as much as I love them, we, we just cannot afford the same amount of time that we spend on a private uh, project. And the second tips I had uh, uh, how to run this is it, we were just quite lucky that people love us to be able to do this like, nonprofit uh, work. So we also have for profit project and they love it by telling us that we like you because you working with our team feels like we were donating to charity because they knew that uh, 
I mean, they can see me, they can see my studio that we, we were, we were just basically reinvesting everything and every energy back into the community. So they felt good about it. And then we were lucky enough that like, along the way, there were a couple, not too many, but a couple of them were willing to give us like uh, the master plan in Canada. That was a for-profit uh, project. So that actually gave us like uh, uh, additional income to keep us up going. And my team, lastly, were just so generous. Uh, they are so talented. Uh, they deserve probably two or three times of their salary if they work for uh, you know, the big corporate like American firm. Uh, but they chose to work uh, with our team because they just love the uh, idea. So because of their sacrifice that they make uh, uh, in their own personal income, uh, we were able to keep our fee uh, affordable for the nonprofit client. So it sounds like there's a combination of uh, determination and sacrifice. You said sacrifice several times, and that's something that I often tell young architects who have these ideas, that there is a choice. right? You can pursue this, and you can go for it, but you're not going to be able to do both. You're not going to be able to be that rich and famous architect and be a super successful philanthropist You know, do, doing um, – you know, not right out of the box, right? You need you need to pursue one, focus on it, and then pursue the other. Um, and it sounds also like you are working hard on the avoid obvious architect side to grow that into a big, successful, financially successful firm. And some of that uh, success is helping to support the other projects that you have. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, we don't. Uh, we don't do 100% nonprofit work, uh, although, although funny enough that in 2020, uh, uh, that's all that we had uh, because <laughs> of uh, the pandemic. Uh, but uh, we do accept like a for-profit project in order to sustain the, the rest of the idea and the practice that we wanted to run. Uh, but, you know, uh, we become like a little magnet of uh, attracting like different like NGO and government uh, 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 policy makers because once we finish one nonprofit project uh, the farm become quite uh, a little bit of not not super well known but like uh, at least it may a name among certain like important figures uh, and they they have uh, continued to approach us for other like nonprofit work that uh, we're doing so it I mean no, no, we don't do the nonprofit work by uh, completely free right like you know, after we are able to successfully fundraise it, I still need some uh, right. basic manpower and uh, labor, you know, to generate a cost. So we took some of the money uh, uh, into the studio to pay for the salary as well. Uh, we don't make a profit out of it. We just can't cover the, the baseline. Right, right. And and you also, you also said that you tried dozens of projects and, and then one succeeded. And so that's another lesson to learn is that it takes that persistence and that determination and that grit to keep on trying um, until one works, right? Yeah. The other project that we have been trying very hard in 2020, uh, I mentioned like almost like 20 different projects that didn't go through. Uh, actually, uh, I would say 18 of them were a uh, affordable housing. Housing, I guess, in U.S., well, across the world in all major urban cities become like a really, really big topics that, you know, people are running out of like places to live, uh, especially for for some unfortunate like uh, part of the uh, neighborhood or, or families. Uh, and as an architect, I think everyone is trying to come up with a solution. And, and we thought we had some really down to earth, simple, low budget solution. 
it, it just modular construction, basically those container home, everyone has been doing it. So we've been doing it as well. And, um, but every time we present the project, it was kind of funny. It's not that we don't couldn't find funding. It's not that uh, 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 we don't have the design. It, it just, we failed to secure a neighborhood that uh, are willing to accept this group of people. Every time we present to the community and say that we will do this housing here, all the yeah, neighbors yeah. are like, no, not in my backyard. <laughs> right, everybody wants it to happen, but nobody wants it in their backyard. Yes, uh, so so all 18 projects, I would say, actually failed because of that reason. I don't want to blame the community. I don't want to blame them, but but I don't see any way out. Uh, someone yeah. got to give me a land to build something. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Uh, so Vicky, you also, you also, last time you were here, um, we talked about architecture for children and that's another, you know, charity that you work with, uh, that you've founded. Uh, can you just give us an update on that and how that's going and what, what's, uh, what's happening over there? Sounds good. Um, for, uh, we have been still teaching, uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, the idea of the teaching has actually explained, uh, that internationally, uh, we started that in New York and then I, when I moved to Hong Kong, we also started the program in Hong Kong, but, uh, because of the, um, the fact that we can't be physically be everywhere. So we decided to starting to actually record more video, uh, record more syllabus online. So we just distributed those video and uh, syllabus for free on the internet. And from that, like we grow a bit more attention. Uh, like uh, just last week, uh, the Institute in Singapore said that they wanted to borrow our syllabus to influence the local uh, education in Singapore. Uh, uh, we were teaching in India, we were teaching in uh, Russia, we were also teaching uh, uh, in, in uh, several other country uh, uh, you know, like Peru, uh, uh, through uh, sometimes like just virtual classes. Uh, and, and that becomes quite interesting as a way for us to influence uh, uh, the rest of the world without needing to invest a lot. Uh, and uh, we, we just kind of get to a break free from the traditional uh, teaching. And, and, and now uh, we have also been very lucky that uh, a US uh, publisher, we were able to uh, collect all this idea we had for the last uh, 20 years and then uh, wanted to publish a book about it. So uh, there will be a new uh, publication coming out that kind of combine all of our syllabus into one publication. And, and, and with that said, like uh, all of the volunteers that we collected, it, it become very, very diverse. Like over, when we were doing the book, like uh, there are contributors that came from like Saudi Arabia, uh, US, uh, uh, in different type of trade, uh, uh, including urban planner, landscape architects. Uh, uh, so it becomes like a, a uh, it is, we call it architecture for children, but like it, the, the term architecture becomes so diverse now that it, it, we are teaching city planning and, and, and all type of like things related to sustainable design. So I, um, it, it, it was quite a fantastic experience. And I work a lot with the AIA, like I mentioned, I was, or, or you mentioned in my bio that I was the president for the AIA Hong Kong chapter. So with them, the, uh, we just were able to connect a lot of volunteers and, and they, they love the communal impact that we do uh, and, and uh, leveraging them and leveraging uh, our network. We were even connecting to more uh, nonprofit organizations who wanted to do communal uh, impact. So, so I think that the idea is still growing. Uh, at the moment, it is again uh, money and time. Uh, we we can't reach a point where like we, we never actually uh, uh, do the fundraising for this project. Uh, we did 
just on our own time when we have money, when we have time. Right. Uh, so we just donate that like once a week to it. But but we realized even once a week, there's only so much you could uh, expand. Uh, so so as of like a, a, a month ago, we decided that we could establish like a proper NGO for this uh, company and, and we would go after funding because I've done it already. So I'm like, yeah, let's let's do some funding for it so that with the funding, at least I could hire a crew to do the video taking, video editing of all the classes, right? I mean, we can't just expect volunteers to do all of that for free. Like I done it, but it takes so so long, uh, so so such a long time. So in order to be able to really like uh, expand our footprint uh, and reach out to more audience uh, and student than we have imagined before, uh, we just kind of uh, now get back to the original point. Uh, we we will have to do fundraising for it. Yeah, and and so the book's name is Adventures in Architecture for Kids. It uh, should be on Amazon. We're going to have a link to that on our show notes. Um, and you're using that book to help that fundraising, right? So- yes, yes. Uh, in order to be able to do more teaching for uh, different families, uh, we will hope to. Uh, the the book uh, is not for free. Uh, people will have to buy it, but the, the money we get out of it, we uh, hope to actually uh, use it to fund the operation for this nonprofit organization, so that uh, we could uh, continue to teach more. Uh, we don't know how else to sell it, uh, so we just sell our idea, uh, our way yeah. of uh, uh, teaching. And I hope that family who are fortunate enough to be able to afford the book, uh, it's only twenty. I think it's only twenty dollar. There are some families who are a bit more fortunate. Uh, Twenty dollars may not be too much for them. So, but for some kid, it is probably a bit uh, more than they could afford. So, we just hope to to use our way to to distribute the wealth uh, slightly differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Vicky, you're so inspiring to hear everything that you're doing. You're making such an impact in the world uh, through your skills and talents as an architect. Uh, I'm very inspired by you. Um, you know, we're listening, we're, we're being listened to by thousands of architects right now. Um, and I'm sure they are inspired as well. What is uh, one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think architects today has to stay uh, diverse and invested in their community. Uh, when I meant uh, diverse is that they have to not be only uh, interested in one subject uh, if they were uh, willing to uh, spend their research and time and uh, uh, investment on, on, on finding out a subject that they care uh, in multiple uh, different trades. I, I think uh, as a small business, uh, it would be very beneficial. Uh, uh, for me, it would, were the fundraising, uh, uh, it was the, the education side, uh, it was the, the, the farming side. And all of that weren't actually something that I learned in uh, school. And then uh, I was able to gather that to form a special tea for my uh, business. And uh, and being able to invest in the community is it, just rewarding in uh, professionally uh, in so many ways. Uh, and people trust us uh, more as we design and we speak with more credential, with more credit uh, as we present. His name is Vicky Chan. Uh, the website is aoarchitect.us that will be on our show notes but you should go to aoarchitect.us because you will see everything that Vicky and his team are doing over there both on the uh, on the profit side as well as the nonprofit side it's all over there uh, again the book's name is adventures in architecture for kids go buy it please go buy it and support what Vicky's doing um, Vicky 
I am inspired and impressed by you, and I appreciate you for doing what you do in the profession, uh, serving the world through architecture, and I appreciate you for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, I had a really wonderful time talking to you and uh, learning uh, from. Uh, looking forward to learn from all of your audience too. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how you could help grow Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, FreshBooks, RCAT, and Twin Motion for their support of this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all our resources that we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. That's you. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-media.com. Go there now. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources for architects, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for you, the small firm entrepreneur architect. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Yep, they are there, there too. Entree Architect is there for you. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? 
Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.